Neil's brother, who's not well and in the hospital, so we could be praying for, for him. And uh, brings my heart great joy. For if you're here and you're a visitor, thank you for coming. Welcome. It's good to see you. And for all you regulars, especially good to see David and Myrna here today together. Uh, David showed up yesterday at the Men's Fellowship, and it was a joy to our hearts for him to be with us. And uh, at the end of that fellowship, we had a little, we sang a hymn, and uh, David's difficulty with his lungs did not impede him. He sang with all his heart, as he always does. And it was such a joy to be there in that little room and to hear the, that voice raised up in praise to God. And we thank God for your, your being with us, David, so much. Um, Without God, he would not be here. I know, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Um, a couple months ago, I, it was my privilege to speak with you, and uh, it was Mother's Day, as you might remember, and I, I enumerated all the reasons why it's wrong to choose Mother's Day as a day to speak, if you're a guy. Um, and Father's Day, too, for that matter. Um, but anyway, so when David contacted me and said, would you speak... Uh, in the month of August, on the 18th, I, I said, sure, and he said, don't worry, it's not Father's Day or Mother's Day, all right? But he said, it is National Fajita Day, and, uh, <laughs> but you don't have to have a special message for fajitas, and, and I thought, who else but David McDonald will come up with National Fajita Day? What a sense of humor that guy has, but I thought, well, you know what, maybe I should just check out and see what special day it is. Maybe it is a holiday of some kind, maybe it is a special day. So I went online and checked it out, and uh, happy National Fajita Day, everybody. <laughs> Can you believe it? 365 days out of the year, and one of them is a fajita day, of all things. There's only a limited number of days, right? So, you know, fajitas. But I, I thought about speaking on fajitas. I thought maybe I could come up with a message, or at least a story about fajitas, but I could not. So I decided I would write a song. Uh, I struggled with that a little bit, and it, it, it just turned out to be a rap. <laughs> there you are. If you don't know what a fajita is, you'll never get that joke, but uh, anyway. All right, so that's why I never made it as a stand-up comedian. Horny right. <laughs> jokes. Um, good to be with you, and I want today God willing to speak to you about the four voices of comfort. The four voices of comfort. How God has in the past and is still comforting me is a wonder to my heart. And I know that it, it probably you have at times felt the comfort of God in your life. And God calls upon us if, if we have been comforted by God to comfort other people. And I want you to come with me, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. For our This is not a pretext. This is a preliminary text, all right? This is a text that, that meets the criteria of being legitimate for this message. Um, I want to start here, but I'm not going to end here. I'm going to go somewhere else for the, for the bulk of the message. But I wanted to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 because it does mention the God of comfort. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 3 and 4. I'm reading from the New American Standard, and if you're looking at the screen, you are too. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we are able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Blessed be his name, he is the God, not only of mercy and compassion, but he is the God of all comfort. He wishes to comfort us, and he does comfort us. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we look into your word this morning, that your Holy Spirit will guide and direct not only my words, but the, the thoughts of our hearts. May we have thoughts that are appropriate, that are right, that are correct, and that are led by your spirit into truth about yourself and about what you would have us to do in the realm of comforting one another. We ask this today in Jesus' name. Amen. God is the Father of mercies. That word means compassion. He is a compassionate God. And because he is a compassionate God, because we are on his heart, he reaches out to us in the time of our difficulty. And who has not had a time of difficulty? Hands up. Not. Yeah. Oh, trick question. Okay, who has not had, none of us could raise our hand legitimately. We've all had, if you haven't had one, a time of difficulty yet, hang on, all right? They're coming. Those times come in this life. But God is a God of compassion and, and of all comfort. The word all there means every kind of comfort. He has the ability to comfort us no matter what our situation is, whatever our affliction, as the verse says, is. Whatever our trouble, whatever our tribulation, whatever our trial, whatever the oppression is in our life, God is a God of comfort and he's able to bring that comfort to us. Have you known God's comfort? And also, have you shown God's comfort to other people? I want to encourage you in both of those areas. Now, what does it mean, comfort? What does that word mean? to comfort. Sometimes we, when we say comfort, we're thinking of nice upholstery in our car. You know, you, you sink into that leather upholstery. Or uh, the comfort of certain foods. We all have these comfort foods that we like that bring comfort to us. We, a comfort of a warm fire in the winter time. But that's not what I'm talking about here. It's not what the scripture's talking about. This is a different kind of thing, a different kind of comfort. The word comfort that is used, the Greek word that is used here, means a calling to one side. You call somebody to your side. Have you ever been comforted by someone as they called you to their side? They knew that you were going through a difficult time, and so they said, come close here. I want you to be close to me. Maybe that comforting person was a hugger. There are some huggers among us. And they know how to hug, and they can see it written all over your face when you're going through affliction. And so, come here. Come to my side. Come close. Get a hug, or a smile, or a handshake, or a call, or a coffee or maybe a card in the mail. My wife comforts by sending cards. Some of you have received some of her cards. That's what she does. She comforts by sending cards. She sees somebody who's in distress and affliction, and God places on her heart the desire to send a note out to somebody. That's how she does that. That's one of the ways she does that. How do you comfort other people? How has God comforted you? If, you, if you've been comforted in a certain way, maybe that's a way that you could extend comfort to somebody else. Years ago, when um, my uncle, Ernest, the youngest of my, my father's family, was very, very ill, he'd had his third major heart attack. He was in the hospital 
not only a heart attack, but he had a stroke at that time. And they took him to the hospital and he was, he was there and he was not in good shape. In fact, the doctors told us later that he was only 10% of his heart was functioning. I was called along with some other family members to come to the hospital to pray and to be with the family. And we, some of us gathered, the immediate family were in the hospital room and some of the rest of us, the cousins, was, we have a large family and some of our cousins were gathered in, in the, uh, the lunch area of the hospital. We weren't gathered for lunch. You don't go for lunch at the hospital, right? You, we were gathered there to pray. And as we sat there, uh, Pastor Tim Fraser, some of you may have known Pastor Fraser, he's with the Lord now, but he, had, he was the pastor of the Baptist church in that area where my uncle attended. And he came down to the lunchroom and he sat with us and he said, it won't be long now. I have sat with many people. I have heard the death rattle. He's not with us very much longer. And we began to pray. We did not know, but in that hospital room, gathered with my uncle was my aunt and some of the children. And my uncle began to, to tremble, apparently, in the hospital bed. He began to shake. And my Aunt Willetta instinctively put down the side of the hospital bed and climbed into the bed with her husband. She wrapped her arms around him, and she whispered in his ear, It's all right, Ernest. I'm here, and I love you. In moments, the shaking stopped. And my uncle went on to live for a couple of decades after that. 10% of his heart functioning. Suffered a stroke. He had to learn to walk and to talk all over again. He was the miracle man of Yarmouth Hospital. Anytime the doctors and nurses saw him, they would say, I we, we just can't believe you're still here. I believe with all my heart it was the comfort of his wife as she lay next to him and reassured him, I'm here and I love you. Now these are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ to us today. I am here and I love you. No matter what your circumstance, no matter what your situation, he is here and he loves you. He is here and he loves you. Do you know that today? Have you known that experience of having him close to you, whispering in your ear that he's here and he loves you and he's going to look after you? True comfort, every kind of comfort, every kind of comfort that is godly comfort must be founded in the person of God. I want to quote now. I'm going to ask the, the gentleman in the back to put my quote up on the wall. It's actually not my quote, but it's a quote that I found from a theologian by the name of Edward Young. And Mr. Young, as I was studying this passage, he wrote these words. True comfort consists in setting forth the entire truth concerning the people's tragic condition and in causing them to see God as their only hope. Look at it again. Let this sink into your heart. True comfort, real comfort. I mean, we can, we can, you know, say things, you know, we, we greet one another, we just greeted one another. Uh, I, I was watching David as he was up there, and it, you were thinking, we need a gavel to bring things to order here, because people just wanted a fellowship, right? And, uh, and Ime was trying to get everybody back to their seats. And we can get together, and, and usually when, when we shake hands, and sometimes we get into conversation, sometimes it's just, how you doing? Hey there, hi though, you know, and it's, uh, it's okay, that's good, we need to greet one another. But true comfort, true comfort when somebody is really hurting has to go deeper than that, doesn't it? Hey, how you doing? 
we lie. Fine. Great. I remember hearing stories of Mr. Fox, who used to preach here, and, uh, and I, I know some of you will remember this. I didn't know Mr. Fox, but I met him once, but, but those of you who knew him would tell me that Mr. Fox would grab your hand and, and shake your hand and say, how are you doing? He'd look right in your eye, right? How are you doing, really? Not, not glibly. How are you doing, really? Because he cared. And everybody knew that, apparently. They knew he cared. And he, want, he didn't want the, the pat answer. He wanted the truth, right? True comfort can set, consists in setting forth the entire truth. It's not, it's not glossing things over. It's not making things out to be better than, than they are. But it's the true, it's the entire truth concerning the people's tragic condition because sometimes things are pretty tragic in our lives. And then in causing them, and this is the point, in causing them to see God as their only hope. Now that's comfort. When we see God as our only hope, that's when we have true comfort in our hearts because what a wonderful hope he is, right? You can have no better hope. You can hope in your doctors if you want to. You can hope in your neighbor if you want to. You can hope in your bank account if you want to. But all of those things will fail. He alone is the true comforter and the only hope. Now that's the preliminary text I wanted to leave with you. Now I want to turn to the major text and begin the four voices of comfort. And the major text is Isaiah 40. I am not going to get through this today. So this will be part one. All right? And if there's another great holiday coming up and I get asked, I will come again and we'll finish this. All right? Isaiah chapter 40, and we're going to begin at the very beginning of this chapter. Isaiah 40, beginning at verse 1. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, call out. Then he answered, what shall I call out? All flesh is grass and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. I see four voices, I hear four voices in this passage. There's the voice of God, 
to start with, and we're going to begin with that voice, the voice of God crying out. Now, Isaiah is an interesting study. If, if, certainly, we do not have time to go through the book of Isaiah together today, and, and I wouldn't be the person qualified to do that really with you anyway. But what little I know of Isaiah is that it is divided into two major parts. The first 39 chapters are chapters of woe, where Isaiah is calling out to Judah and Jerusalem and saying, hey guys, you have been sinning against God, and God is going to have to judge you for your sin. 39 chapters of explaining to the people the woe that is coming their way because of their sin. God is going to send judgment upon you. That's not popular preaching. Isaiah had his difficulties too because of the message he was given by God to give. But then after chapter 39, when you come to chapter 40, everything changes in this book. In chapter 40, from 40 to, to 66, you have chapters of uh, wonderful encouragement and comfort. And it begins with that. Comfort ye, O comfort my people, says the Lord. I find it interesting that Isaiah, with 66 chapters, well, that's the same number of books we have in our Bible, isn't it? 66 books, 66 chapters in Isaiah. 39 of those chapters in Isaiah are chapters of woe and God's judgment. 39 books of the Old Testament. Isn't that amazing? And then 27 chapters of Isaiah are about good news. <laughs> and we have the New Testament with 27, chapter, 27 books, excuse me. I don't know. Maybe it's just the way that the chapters were, uh, you know, God didn't put chapters in the Bible. Those were put in there by ourselves. But um, isn't it an interesting that the book is divided up that way? Good news. And I'm not saying that the Old Testament is all full of bad news. It's not. But the Old Testament does tell us our standing before God. It does show us where we stand as sinners before God. And the New Testament is God's answer to our dilemma, isn't it? The first voice that we hear in Isaiah chapter 40 as we begin this new part of Isaiah is a voice of comfort. It's the voice of God comforting, saying, comfort my people. When I was first saved and, and uh, first started fellowshipping among believers, I, I had gone to church all my life, but fellowshipping among believers and going to church, two different things, right? I had gone to church all my life, but when I, when I came to know Christ as my Savior, I began to fellowship with believers. I began to want to be hanging, around, hanging out with Christians. And I began to fellowship, and, and I ran into this guy that I had never known before. He was a great big uh, burly Frenchman. His name was Larry, Larry Dion. And I've told some of you stories about Larry Dion before, but he was a big imp impact in my life. He was a huge guy, just a young man, but a huge guy. And uh, he had been hired, uh, he comes from West Pubnico, Nova Scotia, and he had been hired by the locals to be a bouncer in uh, the local dance hall because they used to have real problems there. They'd have to have the police there week after week after week, breaking up fights between the West Siders and the, and the Cape Islanders. It was just a tradition. When the, the Saturday night dance happened, <laughs> there would be a fight. So they hired Larry and Ronnie Porter, two guys, to come in and just sort of calm things down, and they did. They calmed things down. There were Cape Islanders and West Siders <laughs> lying on the floor everywhere, where they had cleaned up, right? A big, burly, strong guy, right? Just a, a massive man. And, uh, and you would come up to Larry, and Larry got saved, wonderfully saved. It was great. 
And, and you come up to Larry and you say, hey, Larry, what do you know for sure? And his face would open up into a smile like no other smile on the planet. And he'd say, I'm saved. I'm saved. The first voice of comfort in this passage is the comfort of salvation. The comfort of knowing and being able to say with all assurance, I'm saved. Larry Dion knew it for absolute sure. He didn't continue being a bouncer, by the way. All right? He went on to better things. But he knew for sure, absolutely, the moment he trusted Christ as his Savior, he could say, I'm saved, and I'm going to heaven. Can you say that this morning? Can you say it with all your heart and soul and know it as an absolute certainty? And if you can, if you can that brings comfort to your soul, does it not? To be able to say that no matter what your affliction, no matter what your situation or circumstance, I know that I am saved. I know that I'm going to heaven. I know that my sins are forgiven. Larry could say that. I can say that. I hope you can say that this morning. I'm saved. The scripture says, God says, comfort, oh comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem. The word kindly there, speak kindly, means speaking to the heart. Literally, it means speak to the heart of the people. As I said earlier, if we're going to comfort somebody, we need to speak to their heart. God would speak to our hearts, wouldn't he? God is a God of compassion, and therefore, like Mr. Fox, he doesn't just glibly say, how you doing? He speaks to our hearts, and he says, I want to know you, and I want you to know me. Speak to the heart. God says to us, speak to the people round about us. Now, I realize what I'm doing here is making an application. I want you to understand that this passage of Scripture was given to the Jews. Isaiah was speaking to the people of, of Jerusalem and Judea. And he was speaking about God's compassion for them and God's comfort for them after the time of tribulation that they're going to go through. All of this is prophetic. All of this is future in Isaiah's day. The people of Judah and Jerusalem had not gone through a time of trouble. It was still to come. And Isaiah is saying, it's coming. It's really coming. You are going to experience a great day of trial. But I want you to know that God still cares for you, and I want you to know that he's going to comfort you at the end of this. So all of this is prophetic. All of this is future in Isaiah's day. I am taking this passage of Scripture and making application to our day, okay? I'm making applications so that you and I can apply. We're not Jews, and we're not living in the time of Isaiah or the time of their persecution, the Jewish persecution, but we are living in a day and age when we experience trouble. And I want you to know, God wants me to say, God is telling us to say to one another, to speak to one another's hearts and say, you need to be comforted because God cares. God is here, and he loves you. Call out to her. Now, what is the message of this comfort, the comfort of salvation? I think there are three blessings of salvation, and they're all going to start with P. It makes it easier to remember. First of all, call out to her, and you'll notice that there are three that's. Call out to her that, first of all, her warfare has ended. That's good news, isn't it, when warfare is ended. And that's the peace that God brings the peace, the warfare is over. Her warfare is ended. The time of forced labor, some translations make it. The time of hostility, the time of hard service for the Jews. The time that was coming when they would be carried away into captivity into Babylon, that would come to an end. 
And Isaiah is speaking of that day when it does come to an end, your captivity is over. Your warfare has ended. For them, it was that captivity that he was speaking of. For us, it's the time of bondage that we experience when we're under Satan's control. The time of forced labor when we are the servants of the enemy of God. It's a forced labor. And God wants us to be free from that. And when we are free, there's a peace that settles upon our hearts. It's over, God says. It's over. On Tuesday, May the 8th, 1945, that day is known as VE Day, the British Daily Mail put as a headline in, the news, in that newspaper, it's all over. I didn't live during that time, but I can, I've seen pictures of how people responded to that day. Dancing in the streets, partying, carrying on, right? Celebrating, people hugging one another. It's all over. That time of terrible warfare was over. That's what God wants us to hear. He wants to hear the declaration, it's over. And it can only be over when the second P is understood and realized. And the second P, her iniquity, that her iniquity has been removed. The second P is pardon. There can be no peace in our hearts unless there's been pardon granted to us for our sins. I wonder if you've ever been pardoned for your sins. I'm not talking about a judicial pardon here in this world. I'm talking about a pardon from God. And the only way that pardon can be yours is if you, if you acknowledge that you're a sinner. You say, well, I'm not sure that I'm that bad a person. I, I think that probably I'm okay. I always thought that I was okay. Don't we all think that we're okay? It's everybody else that has the problem, right? We're okay. But I wasn't okay. I wasn't okay. One day I realized that there were a lot of difficulties and a lot of problems with me. And if you take the book of, of Exodus and you read those ten, not suggestions, but ten commandments of God, and you start going down through the list, you will have no other gods before me. You will not make any idol that you will fall down and worship. You will not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You will keep the Sabbath day holy. You will honor your father and your mother. You will not commit murder. You will not commit adultery. You will not steal. You will not lie. You will not covet. When you go through those 10 commandments, you're going to find one or two there that you've broken. In fact, if you want to spend with time, some time with me, I'll show you how you've broken them all. All right? Every one of them. We're guilty. Absolutely guilty. And if we stand before Almighty God, the righteous judge, he is not going to give us a pass. He's not going to say, oh, well, you were young. No. He's going to say, those were commandments. Those are what I said you must do and not do. And you have broken every single one. And the wages of sin, does anybody know what the wages of sin is? Death. God's judgment. Folks, what we need is a pardon for sin. And the only way that God could pardon sin is by sending his son into the world to take the penalty for us. And that's just exactly what he did when he sent the Lord Jesus Christ into the world. The Lord Jesus Christ went to Calvary and he died on the cross, our death, my death, your death for you. And God would give you a pardon because of what Christ has done if you will only come to the point of repentance for your sin and say, I acknowledge it. I am a sinner. I have broken your law and I need pardon. Oh God, I need you. 
We sang it a little while ago. Oh, I need you, how I need you. We tend to think that we can get by by ourselves, that our goodness will be good enough. We don't have any, folks. We don't have any. We need God, and we need his salvation. We need his provision of a savior. And so pardon is the second blessing of salvation and is a comfort. When we have pardon, when we come to Christ, when we come to the cross of Christ acknowledging our sin and saying, Lord Jesus, I realize that you died on the cross for my sins and that that penalty that you paid was my penalty and you embrace that, God pardons your sin. It's the only way he can. He can pardon it because it's paid for now. It's paid for. But he says, if you do not embrace that, if you do not take that, I'm sorry, those sins will remain upon you. So you want pardon for sin. You can have pardon for sin simply by coming to Christ as your Savior. And what a blessing it is. Do you know the blessing of sins forgiven? What a comfort that is to know. A comfort it is to know that I have peace with God through my Lord Jesus Christ, that my sins are pardoned. They're no longer to my account. I, I'm clear. I'm clear. They're gone as if they never were, ever, to, on my account. They're gone. Pardon. Her iniquity has been removed. And then, thirdly, the third P is provision. There is peace for the person who comes to Christ. There is pardon, and there is provision. Look what it says. That her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. She has received the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And I, I wonder, what, what does that mean? Would God punish Judah twice as hard as she deserves? Is that what that means? She's re received double for all her sins? Doesn't seem like God to do that. He's fair, isn't he? So what does it mean? Well, it, just quickly flip over. I, I know, just quickly with me to Isaiah 61. I want to show you a passage here that I think answers what that means. Isaiah 61, that she has received double for all her sins. The first passage here, the uh, first part of chapter 61 is the spirit of the Lord is upon me, and the Lord Jesus quoted these verses when he was ministering in Galilee at one time. And then it says, uh, if we, uh, just for time's sake, I'm gonna bring you down to verse four. He says, then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations. We've had a time of affliction. We've had a time of trouble, obviously. They will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers will stand and pasture your flocks. Foreigners will be your farmers and your vineyard dressers. But you will be called the priests of the Lord. You will be spoken of as ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Now look at verse 7. Instead of your shame, you will have a double portion. Instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, they will possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. I think what we're talking about here in Isaiah 40, in this part where it says, she, shall, she has received of the Lord's hand double, that is a double blessing. God is amazingly gracious. And he takes a ruined sinner like me. He not only pardons my sin, but he makes provision for me. 
He provides for me. And he gives me double, double, double portion. A double portion. More than I ever deserve. Have you ever experienced that from the hand of God? I'm not talking about wealth necessarily. I'm talking about riches. I'm talking about all the things that are intangible but are real. Things that we can't touch but that mean the most to us. The peace, the pardon, the provision of God in our lives. The things, things that we want most in our lives. Isn't it comforting to know that these things are ours through the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ? There are three other, three other voices to, to hear from, three other means of comfort from God, and we will look at those some other time, God willing. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be together today. It's warm, and uh, we have fought fatigue and drowsiness. I know that. But I thank you for just being able to hear from your word today. Thank you for the salvation that can be ours through Christ. And I pray for anyone here today that may not know the Lord Jesus. The burden of sin is still heavy upon them. The warfare is still there. And I pray, Lord, that they might surrender to the Lord himself and find forgiveness for their sins. And I pray for each one of us that do know salvation and do have the blessing and the comfort of salvation that we would be reaching out to other people and seeking to extend that comfort to them as well. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you.